Fala pessoal, tudo bem? And welcome to the Brazil Crypto Report podcast, where we talk to the builders, entrepreneurs, and influencers from across the Brazil crypto ecosystem. I'm your host, Aaron Stanley, and I'm recording from Blockchain Rio here in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, beautiful view today, beautiful view of the bridge in Guanabara Bay. Uh, and today I'm joined by Garrett Kinsman, who is the co-founder of Nodal, which is a decentralized smartphone network and is also uh, one of the, the sponsors here at the, at the event. Um, so we're going to dive into that today here. So Garrett, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's, it's very beautiful. I wish there was a way we could like convert this beautiful ocean that we're standing in front of into digital images or digital sound. Maybe we can convert uh, it into NFTs. Maybe we can convert it into NFT. <laughs> but we're here on the ocean with the, the mountains in the distance and it's just incredible. The most beautiful place for a, a conference ever. Yeah, it's incredible, right? Is this your first time here? First time in Rio. Yeah. Very first cool. time in Brazil. Very cool. Welcome. I welcome. Um, well, I'm not from here anyway, so I, I can't. I probably shouldn't be welcoming you since I don't live here either. But, uh, but anyway, so why don't you tell us a bit about yourself uh, and what your background is, and then what is Nodal? So I'm Garrett Kinsman, the co-founder of Nodal. My background uh, was originally design. I, I was doing graphic design, then got really interested in uh, 3D design, and then ended up being just diving deep down the the mesh network rabbit hole and looking into wireless networks. And this was really before crypto uh, was a thing. This was back when uh, it was BitTorrent and you know just the decentralization movement. And that's how I ended up meeting my co-founder, Misha. And we worked on some various projects together. In between, I lived in India. Um, but what we do now is a startup called Nodal. And Nodal's mission is to create a distributed and decentralized network made out of smartphones. Um, and the first kind of app that's on this network is we use smartphones to locate and connect with Bluetooth nearby sensors and smart devices. So this is basically anything that wants to connect to the internet that can't today because it's really expensive. Think like smart meters or uh, tracking tags in packages or shipping pallets. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're building this big network of phones and then we're providing connectivity for devices. Cool, cool. And so I think an analogy that's like kind of helpful for understanding what you guys do is, is comparing to helium. Um, and it's probably not like the perfect analogy, but I was kind of hoping you could maybe uh, explain where so helium, at its, yeah. Yeah, at its core, we're, we're, we're an incentivized network. So you run an app called Nodal Cash on your phone and you get paid in crypto, paid in Nodal, uh, for providing coverage and, and uh, helping grow the network and connecting things. We're, we're inherently different from Helium in the fact that we're software only. We think that's a huge benefit, um, that we just run on phones or existing hardware. Um, and we also leverage all of the sensors and capabilities that smartphones have that regular blockchains don't. So there's incredible amounts of, of features that your phone has. Uh, think about GPS. If you have a satellite receiver in, your, in, in every phone, which is insane, you've got uh, temperature, humidity, uh, barometric pressure, uh, you've got motion, you've got all kinds of sensors, even iPhones today have LiDAR. So it's all these incredible features that blockchains today don't really have access to. So we think bridging kind of Web3 with the physical world using smartphones is a really interesting value proposition and, uh, and a big market that hasn't been tapped yet. Got it, got it. And, and, and why do you think this is a market that hasn't been tapped? I mean, I, I feel like there's been lots of people kind of like getting at this angle, but like, you know, I, I've yet to see it. I, I downloaded your app earlier and it's, it was just very kind of seamless and clean and wow, this is very easy so to use. Like, like, 
why is this something that's been you know so difficult? It's to, a few to get reasons. Um, and people have we've been playing with Bluetooth on phones for a decade now, basically. Um, but it's really hard to make it work well. Um, there's a few companies that have maybe been inspired by what we've done. Um, think about AirTag. Think about what Samsung or, or Amazon's doing. Um, but it's not decentralized, and you're not getting paid. In many cases, you're not even opting in, mm. uh, which is kind of crazy. So we believe there should be a, an interoperable, um, opt-in, decentralized framework, kind of like the Internet, um, for using phones to connect to the world around you. We think that you just get the network effects that you don't get if it's one company harvesting all this data and, and keeping a very closed ecosystem. So we want privacy and the decentralization to be programmed natively into this. And with that, we believe we can get similar network effects like the Internet. Um, because today it's kind of closed walled gardens. The other main uh, hindrance for these types of networks forming is just blockchain today is is uh, honestly the user interface is very web too. Everybody's on a desktop. Uh, Facebook a decade ago understood that everything needs to be mobile first and so they've been building mobile experiences but if you look in the blockchain world that doesn't exist. So we've invested very heavily in, in mobile experiences and making it really easy to earn crypto on your phone. Right, right, and, and I, I think that point about the being the mobile first and the blockchain, you know, crypto industry being kind of behind on that front really kind of rings true. I mean, I think you're right, like 10 years ago, Facebook and everybody, even like the gaming industry, right, there was a whole shift in gaming yeah. from away from consoles and toward mobile, right? Like all the big publishers wanted to publish their games on mobile because that was kind of the next, and that was a decade ago, right? Yeah. And on crypto, it's like you're still, I mean, yeah, there's like, you know, MetaMask Mobile and you know, things like that, but it's still, it's still optimized for your desktop. A lot of these apps are impossible to use, though. I mean, we've been doing really crazy technology, building wireless networks, you know, from scratch for a long time, and even I can't figure out how to use some of these. <laughs> uh, even I'm stumped at using uh, popular Ethereum wallets that I won't name that met look like a fox. So it's, uh, I, I get extremely frustrated, and so we've tried to design the opposite around that. And, um, and just now you're starting to see other projects begin to invest in mobile first, but it's insane that they haven't already. I mean, to, to us, that's crazy. That's like not having a website and being a tech company in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and none of these big projects have native uh, apps. You know, the right, uh, Ethereum right. doesn't have an official mobile app. Right. Uh, or if they do, it might not have that many users. So um, we, we think that having your own mobile app and being in control of your destiny, really how the next billion people interact with your, your software is really, really critical. And then, so let's talk a bit about just how the kind of the user journey works here. So I'm, I'm pulling up my phone here and I'm opening up my app and, uh, you know, I open up the Nodal Cash app and it's, it, 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 the interface pops up and says discovering Bluetooth device, uh, devices. Yep. It's kind of scanning around looking for other uh, yep. devices that are also connected to the network. It says I've earned 0.73 nodals, yeah. uh, so I'm already, I'm already cashing in here. Um, so what is what is the, the phone doing right now? Like so you're, it just updated. Now you have 1.1. 1. 1. Oh, so amazing! And we're working to make that a bit more real time. Um, what your phone's doing is it's it's looking around for other Bluetooth devices and uh, looking for ones that have been provisioned on our network. So you get a bit of crypto just for providing basic coverage and then you can get an extra reward for connecting devices that are provisioned on our network that are paying to use our network um, and so in exchange you get crypto and so we think that's a really powerful value prop and you don't have to watch ads you don't have to give up any of your privacy 
Um, so we think it's a really powerful shift in the fundamental economics of the internet. Got it, got it. And then, so going back to the helium analogy for a second here, where helium is basically, there's a series of nodes where, you know, I run a helium node, I'm broadcasting. Yeah. It's basically about access to the internet, providing, providing, you know, broadband access to, you know, I'm broadcasting, the next node picks yeah. up my signal and they rebroadcast that and they're earning uh, helium tokens for doing so, et cetera. Uh -huh. And they're, they're basically, the market there is, or the product is basically access to the internet, right? Yeah. So you guys are obviously, uh, you know, access to Bluetooth is one so of, the, is one thing. The biggest way to think about it is, you know, Helium's a network provider. They're just providing network access. Mm -hmm. We're providing network services. Ultimately, we want to be the chain to allow applications to be built um, that leverage our system to do things. Um, if you look at pure connectivity, it's a race to the bottom. It's connectivity is becoming exponentially cheaper over mm -hmm. time. Um, the amount of demand for data actually increases exponentially. So there's this really interesting exponential uh, network effects that you get with uh, with wireless networks. And um, so really just pure connectivity is a race to the bottom. It's really about how can you provide services, how can you leverage all the other features of your phone um, or other types of mobile computing devices. You know, it could be on cars in the future, it could be on laptops. Um, eventually everything is going to probably go virtual or augmented reality. Um, or brain interfaces, who knows. But we have to think about how do we build a, a, a mobile kind of computing platform environment uh, that can leverage all these sensors and uh, and do things interesting. So, what other types of what other types of applications are being built, or do you envision being built on on this infrastructure? So, right now, we're very focused on kind of Bluetooth connectivity, so connecting smart devices. Um, because so, we believe like my that's smart a great, my smart refrigerator. Yeah, they want to send know. some analytics, so, you know, if the pump's working properly, or it's it's pretty boring, but it's a huge market. Like, one use case I've been forbidden to even mention now is shipping pallets. And there is so much, there's such a huge market in finding lost shipping pallets, transmitting temperature data back. Um, it's, it's a huge, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, but uh, it's boring. It's you know, not, not the most exciting right. to talk about. What we're looking at now is actually building kind of non-hardware-based uh, implementations uh, on, right on chain. So mm. one is proof of, of interaction. So we all go to an event, we could actually prove cryptographically that we've been at this event and generate an NFT from that. Mm. And then we're looking at now, well, how do we export that into other chains or other, other formats where people want to use that for stuff? So how would that be different from a POAP? So it would be a form of POAP, but it'd be very secure. So it'd be a much more secure POAP than what's, what's been done before. And, um, and again, we don't want to compete with these other providers. We want to empower them. We want to give them an API yeah. that connects on chain and, and helps them build up. Uh, well, I think, I, think I mean, the reason I asked that question, I mean, I, I love POAPs, but I've, I've found in my experience that it's very easy to game the system. Yeah, with it's very POAPs easy to where, um, you know, a lot of times it's just a QR code that you exactly. have to scan and there'll be like, you know, a supply of like 5,000 POAPs yeah. and you scan the QR, but what'll end up happening is someone will scan the QR code and then they'll just post it Send like it a Discord gram or a group or something and yeah. then all of a sudden all the POAPs are taken by people that weren't so even with at this, the thing. So with this you couldn't do that. You have to physically be there and between each Bluetooth interaction we're essentially doing a cryptographic challenge. Uh, so it's it's very hard to fake. You need a lot of supercomputers or some really good quantum computers to, to break that, theoretically speaking. Um, so, so we think that's a, that's a next level. But there's also these, all these powerful um, interactive-based experiences that we want to create that just don't exist today. So, for example, the way we listen to music, it's really it's you and me and, and our friends hang out, listen to music. Um, and but today, for, for that to go between phones is really hard. Like if I meet my friend, he's playing a song, and I want to essentially synchronize to his playlist. 
I can't. It's uh, after you Shazam or ask ask Siri what that song is. Mm. It's very there's a lot of friction between how two smartphones connect with each other. Right. And so we think just opening that up and allowing really interesting app experiences to be built just by hey you and me have met and we can make sure the security is built into that, but then that can unlock a whole world of really powerful use cases. Right, like, right. Imagine you walk up to an electric car and the door is just open and you just get in because your phone is connected to that vehicle, done a security authentication, you have the NFT that says you're allowed to drive it, and the door opens, you get in and drive. And so there's these really magical experiences that are, are yet to be created that we can leverage proximity, leverage Bluetooth, leverage blockchain that, that can enable. So maybe help me understand a bit why that's so difficult to do under the kind of current Web 2 framework or the, they're the, they're the current way, current means of connectivity. Like why, why is some of that stuff, you know, uh, I mean, not feasible? It's, it's possible, it's just a lot harder to do because you've got to synchronize it across everybody. Um, take the example for the keys for an autonomous vehicle. Say you, you want to sh send your friend the keys to a Tesla. Um, to, to organize that and manage the essentially the roots of trust, um, it, it's a big effort and it's cumbersome and it's hard to scale. And if somebody else wants to do something similar, they have to rebuild that from scratch. Mm. So blockchain is cool because it, it solves a lot of these scalability issues. It's generally open source and it makes it easy for other people to just take something cool that you built and implement it. Got it, got it. And, and you have, have built this on the Polkadot network, on a, on a Polkadot parachain, correct? Yes. So the Nodal network is a, it's a standalone blockchain that we've built and programmed uh, our, our features into. Um, but then we've connected it to the Polkadot ecosystem through a, a bidding auction. So the community bid at the time, I think it was up to $50 million roughly worth of, of dots that they staked uh, for us to get the parachain. So Got it. it was a totally insane process. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, but we, we believe firmly in uh, the Polkadot's vision of, of decentralization and interoperability. So... Uh, and maybe yeah. maybe go in, without getting like you know overly technical. Maybe talk a bit about why you you, you opted for for Polkadot rather than some of these other you know kind of competing layer one chains or some of these so, Ethereum layer twos that are popping so up. So we knew we had to be a standalone chain um, simply because pr pricing your your network in another currency it, you're you're immediately at a loss. Your user acquisition cost goes up significantly, and we learned that when we built our MVPs on Stellar. Mm. Is for every user we added, we had to pay. I think at the time it was a dollar um, or so, something like that. So it was, uh, and it just got too expensive. So you have to pay your own fees in your own native currency. Um, and when we looked for for solutions, um, Ethereum L2s weren't really quite around. Um, we looked at Cosmos, uh, but Polkadot was it, it was just very elegantly implemented. Uh, it worked really nicely, and uh, so we tried essentially a, a bunch of prototypes. Polkadot worked the best. Misha had met um, Gavin and um, and Vitalik before uh, years ago, and, and liked the team and believed in uh, in in, in, uh, in Gavin. So we ended up going with Polkadot. Interesting. So and I, I and think it was a great choice. I yeah, it really was. And it, it's interesting because you know I don't necessarily. I mean, I, I, with the disclaimer that I haven't really followed much uh, of what's been happening in Polkadot over the last like year, eighteen months or so. I know yeah. that this whole auction process and whatnot. Um, but you know. Last time I was kind of playing around with Polkadot. I mean, I, I think I still have PTSD from when I tried to set up like a Polkadot wallet. Like, I'm, it's not, yeah, you because know, I was trying to ape into some like Polkadot token sale yeah. or something, you know. And it, it's not the chain that I would like associate with, like, you know, oh, the, user friendliness. The user I guess that, you know? that they designed was 
not the greatest uh, for sure. Um, but the tech was really good. Like our our tech team was super happy with with, with what they've built and just the the substrate framework, which is their such as the back end, makes it really easy to work with. Um, but we had to build the user experience from scratch. We had to say, okay, here's a uh, here's here's the wallet SDK uh, from Polkadot. How do we gonna how are we going to build this in a way that's really easy and nice to use? And so mm -hmm. we had to work a long time, uh, many many years, quite literally, uh, to get that to be a really good experience. Got it, um, got it. And um, and yeah, I mean, I mean this, maybe this is a bit of a rabbit hole here, but I, I mean, I've always kind of envisioned. I mean, I've always had an admiration for for what Gavin Wood has. You know, he, I mean, he built the the EVM. You know, basically in like three days in a you know an Airbnb <laughs> and Zug. You know, he just like stayed up for three days, drank a bunch of Red yeah. Bulls, and just built this thing. Uh, and then he's kind of like renounced it and said like, hey, this isn't, you know, as good as it probably should be, and, you know, WASM or WebAssembly is, like, the superior operating system or substrate I, layer. I think what's going to happen is, like, you're going to just see this weird, like, Frankenstein creature of, like, Polkadot and Ethereum, like, in the future. Like, every, like a lot of action is going to happen on Ethereum, but a lot of the scalability or, like, L2s, like, I, I think we're going to see a lot of parachains act like L2s mm. in, in Ethereum. Um, that doesn't t technically make a lot of sense, but kind of if you think about it from a high level, we're going to see uh, parachains acting as a standalone chain and then interacting often with, with Ethereum. Um, and, and again, Polkadot has a lot to left to prove. Polkadot really has to prove itself yeah. in terms of, uh, of, of DeFi and interoperability with Ethereum and governance, and even if, if it's making an XCM integration, that's still a big effort on, on our engineering time, every single chain that we want to connect to. So yeah. Polkadot still has a lot left to prove, and I, I hope they, they keep that in mind. But it's also a very elegant and beautiful uh, technology um, that, that can outperform Ethereum in a lot of other ways. So yeah. I think we're going to end up probably in a decade from now, we'll see a hybrid of both technologies, and they'll both kind of be stuck together in some weird way, but uh, that's, that's left to be seen. And, it, and it, you know, two years ago, we were super bullish about other technologies, um, and so it's just, it's just changing so fast. Yeah. Really yeah, I mean, not to not to like take this in a super deep rabbit hole here, but like I, I've always kind of envisioned Polkadot as like like the true, you know, like Ethereum, the vision of what Ethereum 2.0, like post-merge with sharding and everything. Yeah. It's like I almost envision Polkadot as like basically what Ethereum is like striving to become. Yeah. In a sense, uh, I mean, my sort of non-technical understanding of. Well, of I, I think that's how it was kind of envisioned, like. Gavin was looking at, well, how do we scale Ethereum? What would it look like? And that's kind of how Polkadot emerged. Um, but uh, it, we're yet to see. I mean, we're still in the middle of uh, the, the, the merge for Ethereum. Um, and uh, and we'll, we'll see how that goes. I'm sure it's going to be you know, chaotic, like most things <laughs> Ethereum, for sure. Um, but uh, but Ethereum's also it's the original decentralized Turing complete machine. Yeah. You know, so that's also really powerful. Yeah, it's it's the grandfather, right? It's and it the, has it has so much it has yeah. so much gravity and, and the network like effect. Bitcoin. I mean, like Bitcoin is is that's the god of crypto. You know, does it do much? No. Is it scalable? Not really. Like, but it's it's, it's the original one. You yeah. Know? And like it's, it's, it's so ingrained into the world that it's it's you know it's probably not going to go away. And I I would argue the same for Ethereum. I know some of my colleagues would argue otherwise. Um, but I, I feel like Ethereum is going to be around for a long time. I think the core ideas that Polkadot has made are also going to be around a long time. Um, and Polkadot still has to really prove itself. Um, 
and, uh, and, and work really, really hard uh, because it's just the early days. So, moving on here, let's let's chat a bit about like what are you guys doing in Brazil? Like, why why are you here now? I mean, what what's, so, what are you excited about in Brazil? So why are I'm you activating? Really interested in, in developing markets. So. You know, America and Europe and kind of the developed economies, we call them, are more, the, the economies are slowing down. So if you look at economic growth, there's countries like India and Brazil and mo almost all of Southeast Asia, which is basically exploding with growth. The population, economy, technology sectors. Uh, COVID did a big, you know, kick to that. It, uh, it, it hindered a lot of that growth. But if you look at things kind of outside of COVID, um, there's markets that are just growing way faster than America is by, yeah. you know, by a, a moonshot. And so these are really interesting to me because these are markets that are seeing heavy crypto adoption, heavy wireless network adoption, huge smartphone penetration. Um, and so we want to make heavy investments into these markets because we believe long term uh, just the size of IoT and crypto and the users um, could totally outshine uh, what's happening in the U.S. and Europe. Right now, almost all of our network is U.S. and Europe, but I believe that just based on smartphone penetration and, and uh, economic growth, uh, we're going to see massive, massive adoption in places like Brazil and Southeast Asia. So uh, almost all of laptop, for that matter, is really interesting for us. Very cool, very cool. And um, so this is so this event here is kind of like your your grand entry into the yeah. laptop market of sorts, right? Exactly. You definitely kind of made a splash here, and then you also had announced with Mercado Bitcoin as well yeah, earlier. Yeah, we announced today uh, with a. Uh, Mercado Bitcoin, um, the, the, the most popular kind of local crypto exchange here in Brazil. But one thing that I, I found really interesting, and again, we have a lot of team members that work, work with us. Our head of marketing, uh, Carolina, is, uh, is from here, right, right here from Rio. Um, so she helped put all this together. But we learned that in the, in the U.S., crypto is like this cool technology. It's, it's kind of like a novelty. Um, I'd be hard-pressed to use like Bitcoin to buy something. Like I even try to go out of my way to buy stuff with Bitcoin. It's, it's difficult. It's hard. Yeah. Um, but here in, in Latam and in South America, it's, it's, it's survival. I'm meeting a lot of people here from Argentina that say, you know, me holding crypto is the difference between me having a life savings and not. Yeah. Uh, and to me, that's really powerful. Uh, and the fact that it's happening in Tether is also really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the U.S. government's been talking about a stable coin uh, for years now, and I don't think they even realize that it's happened. Right. <laughs> it's already everywhere. Um, or maybe they do, who knows. But um, so to me, that was really powerful to see that, you know, here crypto is not just this cool, really interesting technology. It's a way of life. It's a, it's survival. Um, yeah. So and to it's, me, that was powerful. You, really you don't, it's like, you don't, you don't need to explain the value proposition of something like this to, you know, an Argentine who's suffering through yeah. hyperinflation or yeah. even, I mean, it's been, a, it's been about, you know, 30 years since Brazil had like really severe inflation, but, you yeah. know, it's, the numbers are getting up there now as, just as they are in the U.S., but, yeah. uh, you know, it's becoming a real thing. And this is also a very digitally savvy population, right, where, yeah. like, they do everything on WhatsApp, they already have pics, and, like, everything's mobile, very digitally savvy. And, and, again, the whole world's mobile first. So all these blockchain projects that you need to log in, connect your MetaMask to, I mean, this is, like, early 2000s web design principles, you know? <laughs> right. It's like the entire world moved past that a decade ago. Um, and so, to me, you, you've got to be mobile first. In fact, even having a web interface, like, doesn't make sense. We, we have one because, you know, blockchain's hard and sometimes you got to do complex things on chain. But uh, in general, for a vast majority of your users, it should just be mobile first. Yeah. Uh, and anything otherwise is totally insane. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this day and age, yeah, 100% agree. 100% agree. Most people don't even own a own a desktop computer. Like if you look at India, uh, I think 70 or 80 percent of the population only has a smartphone. Mm. Um, and I, I think in Brazil, it's, uh, it's a similar a similar number. Yeah. So so if there's this, you know, I mean, crypto always wrestles with this question of like you know, financial inclusion. You know, yeah. using air quotes here because it kind of means different things to different people. But yeah. uh, but at, at the heart of it, it's really like if you, if you actually want to achieve that goal, like you need to be optimized for mobile because like the people yeah. that need financial inclusion probably don't have laptops. You need to be optimized to mobile yeah. and, and you need to be heavily integrated with stable coins because crypto is volatile. I mean, we listed a few days ago and we really learned the definition <laughs> of what volatile means. Um, but uh, we think that Nodal can be a really powerful onboarding tool just to get people interested in crypto. Your phone becomes a node. It's, it's generating real value by participating in a, in a global wireless network. Um, and if you want to trade some of that into a stable coin, uh, we think that's really powerful. Yeah. Um, and we think that Polkadot's a really great way to do that because it's very low fees. Um, it works really well. A lot of uh, uh, Ethereum-based stablecoins are even uh, migrating into Polkadot just because it's so much cheaper to transact. Mm. Um, so I, I think Nodal can be a really powerful way to onboard a lot of people who their first wallet is a Nodal Cash wallet. Right, We've already right. got half a million Nodal Cash wallets out there with the fastest growing parachain and we weren't even listed. Wow. Um, and so we want to be... That's, that's worldwide? Yeah. Okay. And so... The, uh, but the total number of smartphones is you know, six billion, six or seven billion phones out there. So we, our, our goal is really to onboard the next billion people to crypto and just do it with our app. Um, and we think that it's a great kind of, you know, what, like I remember for me, once, once I had the first Bitcoin transaction, my friend sent me one whole Bitcoin back in the day. Um, and uh, I, I wish I didn't have to sell it. Um, but uh, it's... Uh, you're hooked. Yeah, it's a, light, like, it's a light bulb moment, I just right? remember staring at the the interface. I forget, it was a Electrum wallet, you know, on a crappy Linux machine and just being like, this is insane. This is like funny internet digital money. <laughs> and it's like really hard to crack. So to, to me, that you were hooked. And I feel like we can do the same thing with uh, with mobile and with nodal cash and using just basic, you know, UI. Yeah, it, it, I think there's something powerful about, you know, Going from zero to one is always sort of the hardest part. Yeah. Like getting that, you know, okay, getting somebody their first crypto, whatever that might be. Yeah, and yeah. then once you get your first one, kind of that, those, you know, going from one to two to three to four yeah. is always, uh, you know, it's just so much easier. Like you kind of get, you're like, okay, yeah. you're, you have your aha. It's like the first time you use an iPhone, right? Yeah. You're like, okay, like this is legit. Yeah. Like uh, I want to do more of this, right? Um, exactly. So maybe talk a little bit about what the, t I mean, what can the token do, right? Obviously, you can go and sell it on an exchange into stable coins, or but what other features does the token? Yeah, unlock? that's never a sustainable model. Uh, but we we want so we're building a network, a wireless network. At first, uh, a network of smartphones is is ultimately what we're really doing. Um, but just as a wireless network, you look at other telcos, so say Verizon or AT&T or Sky, uh, uh, Starlink. I was going to say Skynet, but Starlink. It's <laughs> um, kind of similar. Um, uh, these are massive wireless networks uh, that reach a lot of different countries. I think Starlink was the first, uh, or the, you know, let's look at even just a terrestrial network. So no kind of ground-based network today is in 100 countries. But we were able to hit 100 countries in... Uh, just a few years mm. a, with a few million dollars. Wow. To do that with a cell towers or a helium would be tens of billions of dollars. Right. Because um, so you have to build all that in for you have to build yeah, towers, so you have to build... You know, cash app, you're, you're participating helping create a real network that has real value. And right now that value comes from 
that value comes from uh, uh, customers that are using our network, so people that pay to connect small devices. Um, and we believe that can be a, a, a very large demand for the coin um, and, that, and that's what we're focused on right now Got but it. there's also a lot of other features that your phone can do whether it's taking a 3d scan of an environment uh, most modern iPhones have really powerful 3d scanning sensors built in um, or using your sensors to measure atmospheric pressure almost every iPhone has mm. a, an Android has a, a pressure sensor which I didn't even know until a few months ago so there's all these powerful sensors and we believe that opening that up to what we call a smart mission. So where a developer can say, hey, I want somebody or something to do this, whether it's take a picture of this environment or take a sensor reading here um, or go to this specific location, and then pushing that on chain um, can be really powerful. So we're right now focusing to totally diversify away from just Bluetooth, but focusing on all the sensors that are in your phone and, mm. uh, and, and linking that, bridging that to, to Web3. So essentially, just to kind of give like, you know, a real world example of how this could work, like the atmospheric data, so like, okay, like all, all of our, you know, for instance, you know, Rio de Janeiro is a nice place here because it's like yeah. we're, out, we're out here at sea level, yeah. but you go a mile that way and then you're in the mountains and the temperature yeah. is totally different and it's colder. Uh, so yeah. if we were all connected or all of our, our, our respective uh, uh, barometric, barometric uh, sensors on sensors our phones were phone, yeah. like I could I could do some and if these were all connected I you could can do some weather like way more accurately mm. um, and and we have this problem I used to live in India and so when I was working for a ride-sharing network and whenever it rained the demand for cars would shoot up because nobody wanted to drive or you know walk yeah um, but then none of the drivers wanted to work and the result was the servers got overloaded and then crashed mm. um, and so in the early days of you know AWS uh, if you didn't have proper scaling implemented, the servers would just go down. Right. Um, and so what you can do now is you can actually take weather data and, and use it to spin up servers before you need them. Wow. And so you can actually have your, your city's infrastructure adapt to the, the climate just based on you know how many servers you need to deploy in the next you know few minutes. Um, and so there, there's a big market for weather data and, and all this kind of stuff for optimizing things. That was just one example. Um, and so we think that that can be a powerful uh, use case. Uh, just, hey, we need to get weather data and, and be more accurate um, at predicting weather information just using smartphone sensors. Um, and then that's an extra revenue that you'd be able to generate, um, even if it's just a few cents. Right, right. And then how does, maybe talk a little bit about the token economics, right? So I just, I've just earned like 1.1 nodal tokens. Yep. Uh, so how does, how does that fact, like, how, what is like the, I mean, was there a pre-mine? Am I, am I actually like so mining the tokens by, yeah, by? Yeah, generating it, yeah. So and that's the beauty of having um, uh, a parachain, is that we can actually program that natively into the blockchain. Um, we, we, can, we can build that programming function right into it. Um, so what you're doing is you're generating nodal cash. Uh, right now there's about, uh, the, 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 the supply is about 8 million, sorry, 8 billion. Uh, only about 2 billion of that is actually circulating. Uh, so most of the 8 billion coins is locked. And then after the course of 10 or 15 years, um, we expect uh, the total supply of 21 billion to be mined out. Um, but what's interesting that just with wireless networks is the demand for wireless networks doubles every 12 to 14 months. It almost mm. follows Moore's law. Oh, wow. That's why telcos have to come out with 4G and then 5G. Yeah. And then soon we're going to hear, hear about 6G, which is also basically just 4G. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Elon Musk launched Starlink. And they just did a deal with Starlink to connect to T-Mobile, so beaming 4G from mm. 
uh, satellites. Oh, interesting. Which is totally insane technology. Uh, yeah. Using kind of, it's called massive MIMO, 6G, they'll probably call it technology. So it's, um, it's, it's really compelling. Um, and your phone is just a, a small part in this massive network. And so really the, the core value is going to come from people using our network to connect stuff and do interesting things, and that's what we're really racing and working to build. So, could I mean, could I connect? Could I, could like my you know other smart devices eventually also run nodes? Like, could my smart yeah. refrigerator run a node and like I could just or be earning nodal cash? Yeah. So by we think like things like Teslas would be really cool. We would love to get nodal running on a Tesla. Um, so the car is actually collecting and helping connect sensors as it's driving around. Mm. Um, and we ultimately believe that the, va the value of the data around the phone or around a vehicle or around a node is worth much more than the data that's on the node. Right. So say if you're driving a Tesla down the street, it's connecting all these sensors, temperature sensors and uh, weather, weather data sensors and, and location of a package that's shipping something. Um, we think that the value that's collected uh, could even pay for the cellular plan mm. of the car, oh, which wow. to me is really interesting, uh, because the the cost of a gigabyte of data is crashing globally. The the value of a gigabyte of data in most parts of the world, I think, is averaging around a dollar. Mm. I know we in America spend on average uh, eight to ten dollars per gigabyte. I can buy it wholesale around three dollars a gigabyte, um, but it's really really expensive in uh, in the U.S. compared to other parts of the world. So mm. the, the price of data is crashing. Um, satellite providers are helping uh, reduce the, the, the cost of that, which is pretty cool. And so ultimately, I think data is just going to be so cheap that you could run a nodal node and you can you can help pay for your phone bill because the value of the, the sensor data is just so valuable around you. We're not there yet, but that's that's kind of the dream. Right, right. And then, I mean, the, the Tesla example is an interesting one because uh, kind of going back to your example earlier about the, the weather data and like how you know, a, a network of these connected phones being able to share weather data and help to predict weather trends, like you could also maybe do something similar with, if you have a network of Teslas driving around or car, smart yeah. cars driving around that are all sharing traffic data, like that becomes basically, you know, Google Maps on steroids, or Waze yeah. on steroids all, all yeah, and ultimately. That's, that's not built into our network right now, but the core kind of incentive, we would love to be able to have a mission that could then plug in other libraries that would enable these types of things. Like uh, another one right now is all the tech companies in the Bay Area are racing to map the world in 3D. Mm. So everybody's working on their uh, their augmented reality glasses. There's rumors Apple's doing it. There's there's you know everyone and their mom's got uh, AR glasses that they're trying to build. Right. And it's uh, they need maps. They need data about the world around us. And iPhones have really powerful uh, sensor scanning capabilities. Mm -hmm. And so we've been talking to some people about saying, hey, what if your smartphone could just do a scan of the environment? We pay everyone a small amount of money, paid for by these companies that need this mapping data, yeah. to just walk around the city and actually map the entire city in 3D. Hmm. And in real time, if you're if you're updating the, the map uh, daily or in real time, yeah, yeah. And so, um, this is something that you just you can't really do with a uh, with a, with a centralized system very easily, and you can't do with just one or two self-driving cars. You need a crowd of people. Yeah, with it, phones. It's, it's like you're you're like it's like the Web three version of Google yeah. Street View, right? Exactly. Where you know it's like instead of seeing exactly. a picture of of what this place looked like three years ago when yeah. the Google car drove by past it and mapped yeah, yeah. it out, like you can see what it looks like basically in real. Time. And it, we, we talked to some of the developers about this, and they, they called the, their APIs, they said, were ocean boiling because the amount of supercomputing power to stitch all these 3D, all this 3D data together is really, really <laughs> incredible. And I asked them, I said, do you think the entire observable universe will be mapped in 3D in real time in our lifetime? 
the entire observable universe mapped in 3D in real time. So a bird flies by, it goes into a database. Wow. And they said, yes, most definitely. Like, hmm. we're building the technology. And they said, they probably believe it's going to happen in the next decade. So our expectations about the future and actually what's being built right now, whether it's a $1 Bluetooth sensor with more compute power than the Apollo spacecraft, um, you know, it's, it's basically here. It's just a matter of bringing down server costs. And so we want to make sure that this is done in a way that protects privacy, yeah. uh, a way that's decentralized, and a way that you're ultimately in control of, of what's happening. So, so and, and when you say that I'm in control, ultimately, it's like an opt-in. Where I'm, yeah, I'm by, by downloading the, the app and running yeah. the node, I'm opting in. You have to opt in to, to share your data, or opt in to do a scan of an environment. Um, and we really want to try to push people away from the core advertising models that power the internet today. Um, because we, we believe if, if people are given the option to sell their data, their personal data, they probably will. And so we want to make sure that that's you know, not the case. We want to make sure that uh, we're protecting user privacy and, right. uh, and making sure that, uh, the, that their information is protected and the information collected about them by this new hyper-connected world can be managed properly. Uh, I mean, we don't know the answer to that yet. Yeah, you know, yeah. We're so new in this world of, of exponential data collection uh, that it's, it's a definitely a big challenge. I like to say that the amount of data you can collect on an individual increases exponentially each year. Yeah. Um, and so we want to make sure, and at least start getting people thinking about how do you how do you manage that? How do you think about that? Right, right. Yeah, and that's I mean that's something that you know I honestly haven't even thought about in a long time. I I, I remember I even I did a, re a story on something like this back in like 2013 or 2014. Wow. We were trying to kind of quantify like. What is like your like the value of you as an individual to like these big tech companies, right? Where yeah. like they're harvesting, yeah, they're harvesting our data and they're making, they're selling it, and like I'm the product and whatever that they're selling. But like when you actually kind of break it down, it's like, well, the value of me as an individual to like these people is like, it's like you know, seventy cents or something. What like, was my the number you came up to? It was, I mean, it was some like, it was like some trivial number that's like really? not even in America. It was like, yeah, I mean, this was like this was like you know seven or eight years ago okay. that we, we did so this kind of interactive project looking at wow. that where it's like what are you what are you worth kind of thing yeah and obviously I'm we're, we're all producing much more data than we were back then but like I think it kind of gets to the point of like maybe that the, the data is you know the, the, the data I was generating just maybe isn't like that valuable aside from yeah. just like targeting to sell ads at me and right? it's had all these weird effects too because that data is you know captured by governments and political parties which use that data to you know do weird and wild things and so that's had some really weird effects on civilization and on democracy and so what we want to do is just get people off this addiction of, of individualized targeted data and yeah. say let's let's focus on what's around the phone let's focus on what's in the world around us um, and uh, and try to move away from the person because now we can build real privacy true you know privacy protection because all of the privacy protection laws that were created were built around advertising to keep these advertising yeah. companies alive because you can't regulate them out of existence. I and mean, this represents a huge chunk of our economy. Right. Um, but if we focus on the world around us, we can actually have real, true privacy laws, hmm. leveraging things like zero knowledge and leveraging new technologies um, that, that can be really compelling. Uh, Interesting. So this, so this essentially could end up being... I don't want to call it a solution, but like you know, an alternative to uh, you know policies it's, like GDPR that are like well intentioned but are not really that yeah, effective. It's, it's an attempt to get us off our addiction to personal data. Nodal, we want to shift the core economics of the internet uh, and, and do it in a way using using Web three. That's kind of the whole dream of Web three, anyway. Right, right. Um, so yeah.
Yeah, no, very cool. Yeah, this whole idea of like owning your own data, kind of owning your own personal yeah. identity, your own sovereignty, your own money, right? Yeah. Like all this, this whole this whole idea of, of you know, this is like the ownership, like the web ownership economy, right? Yeah. And, and um, and obviously, you know, the, the, the addressable market for something like this is, you know, absolutely enormous as we can all kind of, as more smart devices are coming well, we, online. We want to address everybody with a smartphone. Yeah. Which is, which is like... That's our market. That drives our product team crazy, so we have to put that <laughs> into to smaller buckets. But I, I personally want to target every single person with a smartphone and have them run Nodal Cash and participate in our network and create, create value. And so turning it back to Brazil here, this is a, a Brazil-themed con, you know, conversation, even though yeah. I, I, this is a really, I really enjoy learning about this, but uh, uh -huh. turning it back to the, kind of the Brazil focus here, um, you know, why, you know, you, you talk a bit about like why you're bullish on Brazil and emerging markets generally, but like why now? Like why are you launching now in Brazil? I mean, it's obviously we're in a bear market. It's not, you know, the greatest, uh, you know, there'll probably be like twice as many people here if we were in a bear market or a bull market. <laughs> like why are you folks launching now here in Brazil? So, I mean... Now I think is a better time than ever. We, you know, we we believe that Brazil is is growing very very quickly. Um, also, you know, we're kind of out of COVID, so we can now go out and do things and throw events and yeah. and, and have parties and stuff. Um, and it and it's a really interesting time where the the global economies are are kind of coming out of this 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 COVID depression, entering the total unknown. Um, and we think that you know when civilization is faced with the unknown, um, now is a great time for crypto. <laughs> so I, I think now is a better time than ever to uh, start getting people to use crypto, running the little cash app, um, earning crypto, taking kind of their own sovereignty for generating income, even if it's really small right now. Um, so we think it's a great time. We know that crypto is just emerging. The growth in crypto in Brazil is, is huge just in the past year. Yeah. Um, and uh, and there's huge mobile penetration. So if you look at countries with with almost all like mobile, very high mobile penetration, um, very growing quickly in the crypto space, uh, Brazil, Argentina, you know those those really come to the top of the list. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Most interestingly, if we look at our data, uh, Vietnam also comes to the top of the list. Mm. So there's something really interesting happening in Vietnam as well. Um, that we, we kind of want to go explore and pursue. So, Interesting. Uh, so yeah. Okay, very cool. Well, and we'll Ukraine say, well, also. Ukraine was Ukraine. also the top of uh, just really interesting stuff happening in crypto as well. A lot of yeah. developers, a lot of interest. Yeah, um, yeah. So. Very cool. So, yeah. um, well, so I'd love to just kind of wrap up by getting your thoughts on the conference so far. We're on day two here. Uh, yeah. We just love kind of your thoughts on like, you know, what types of conversations have you been having with people? What type of feedback have you been getting? I think it's great. I I meet a lot of people here from like the the real like underlying projects. Like you know you you, you work with Filecoin. Uh, I met the Zcash guys were running around. People with Zcash T-shirts. Um, I uh, I got a Zcash, which is cool. I I um, I was really happy to find out that you can do shielded transactions on mobile now. Which oh really? We were trying to do it with desktop like two years ago, and it was almost impossible. It just didn't work. Um, so yeah, like really like hardcore crypto people uh, are, are here. There's a lot of interest from the community, um, and that it's it's not a something cool. It's actually saving lives. It's, it's, it's the underpinning economics for families, which yeah. to me is really powerful. Very cool, and um, and obviously like you're you're entering this market. Uh, you know you're spending a bit of money here, trying to kind of generate you know generate some interest, find yeah. some new you know. I mean, how, how like if we look back like you know a year from now, um, like how will you kind of what will a successful sort of launch in Brazil look like? Do you have any so, kind of numbers you're targeting or? 
So I, I'd love to see a few million daily active users, which would be awesome. I mean, that would be a, a huge success. At least a million daily active users in Brazil would be awesome. Right now it's in the thousands, so it's tiny. I mean, we have a, a pretty small network here in Brazil. Um, but just 1% or 2% of the smartphone population in a city is enough for this network to, to thrive. Yeah. For us to do some really interesting stuff. So, um, so that's pretty exciting. And uh, we also believe there's a huge market for uh, just connecting stuff. I mean, the economy in Brazil is growing like crazy, whether it's industry or moving logistics of things and, mm -hmm. and assets. assets. Um, so we want Nodal to be an integral part of that as well and really just help connect all this stuff that's moving around. Very cool. Um, well, listen, Garrett, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat here. Thank this you. is super interesting. Um, I mean, I, I think this is a, like a really cool activation you guys are doing here, and it's a really cool product. Where can folks go to, to learn more or to, to download so the app? Just check out the Nodal Cash app, N-O-D-L-E, on the, your favorite store, um, your, your, your favorite overlord uh, store. Favorite centralized app store. Favorite centralized app store. Favorite centralized right? app store. <laughs> um, and uh, we, we are looking at oh, actually hosting our app on Filecoin. We think that would be pretty cool. Oh, very on IPFS. Cool. Um, yes. And uh, um, so yeah, just download the Nodal Cash app and try it out. We say that's the best way to just experience it. If you, if you hate it, you can uninstall it. But we find that a lot of people really like it. Um, even now, when we're meeting, uh, you know, partners, we don't even send them a pitch deck. We just say, hey, just download the app. Like we, we try that to make that to be our our ultimate pitch and ultimate. Uh, yeah, and I, I like it because I just I just download it and I don't I didn't have to do anything. There's no There's I don't no have to like yes. I don't have to go through KYC or like words, give it, put in my email address or any of this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's like I just download it and I click it's the button not, and I'm yeah, up and click. running. So, so I like to say if you can't do it in one click, you should stop and rethink your life. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're not in that reality. Right. Um, but uh, yeah. Well, listen, Garrett, really appreciate your time. Um, wish you the best of luck with the rest of the event here and in Brazil and, and just, you know, with the project generally. Very ambitious, but, but hey, this is why we're in Web3 is because we, you know, we dream big we and, like crazy you know, stuff, yeah. we like crazy stuff. Yeah. So really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, and thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode in our series uh, from Blockchain Rio. Obrigado, everyone, and thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the Brazil Crypto Report newsletter on Substack if you haven't already. And please do give the show a five-star rating on your podcast app if you enjoyed this content. We'll be back soon with another great guest.